0: Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today.
1: We'll talk today about Detroit's historic municipal bankruptcy and a new documentary that takes a look at how it happened, what happened, and what lessons it contains for other cities. We want to hear from you, too. What are your memories of the lowest point in Detroit's economic history? And how do you think the bankruptcy helped or hurt the city going forward? That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. And welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. It's hard to believe that it was nine years ago, or it will be nine years ago this summer, that the city of Detroit went bankrupt. Not broke, not struggling, words that we have associated with Detroit for a really long time, but literally bankrupt. I remember really vividly conversations with people inside the administration of then-Mayor Dave Bing and them telling me that if something wasn't done, if some intervention wasn't mounted, The city wouldn't even make payroll by summer, wouldn't be able to pay employees who worked for the city. Debt had been mounting for decades. We had been borrowing money to pay back borrowed money that we borrowed to pay back other borrowed money was a pyramid that was absolutely bound to crumble. And the decision and the process of taking the city through the largest municipal bankruptcy in U.S. history had really profound effects on this city every day since then. Lots and lots of things look really different in the city of Detroit because of the bankruptcy. Some of them positive things, some of them negative things. As we get closer to the 10-year anniversary of the bankruptcy, which will be next year, there are a lot of people starting to look back and think about what the bankruptcy actually means to the city of Detroit today. Are things in a better place because of the bankruptcy? Not just finances, but things like city services. Things like the representation that Detroiters have in the various areas of city government. There's a new documentary that takes a really close look at what led to Detroit's bankruptcy, what it looked like when it happened, and what it means for all of us in 2022.
2: The integrity and heart of our people are not bankrupt. We have coaches and teachers and parents and activists and leaders on the front line of this riverfront. We ride bikes down the Daquinda Cut. Maybe you've heard of us. We are the people inside the Michigan hand, indigenous Detroiters, and we love our land. We make artists with international fans. I'm from a Detroit hood, so I'm a part of the plan. Somebody got to show the young ones how to get up 75. We're not ghost riding. We live and work in this city. We
3: are alive.
1: That is part of the trailer for the new documentary, Gradually Then, suddenly, the bankruptcy of Detroit, which recently debuted, of all places, at the Detroit Institute of Arts as part of the FREEP Film Festival. There, of course, you heard the wonderful and familiar voice of our absolutely exquisite local poet, Jessica Care Moore, talking about that spirit that we have, the culture that binds us all together as Detroiters. Joining me now to talk about this new film, Gradually Then Suddenly, are two of the people who've played big roles in making it. Chastity Pratt is the Education Bureau Chief of the Wall Street Journal and a producer of Gradually Then Suddenly. She, like me, was a staffer at the Detroit Free Press while the bankruptcy unfolded. Uh, Chastity, welcome back to Detroit Today
2: morning,
1: Stephen. Also with us is Sam Katz, who is co-director of Gradually Then Suddenly. Sam, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi,
4: Stephen. Glad to be with you. Yeah.
1: So I should uh, say also at the top of the conversation that uh, I was involved a little bit in this film. I appear in the film several times. I've seen several cuts of it. Uh, I am not in Detroit right now, so I have not been able to see this final cut that was airing at the the DIA and is now uh, airing as part of the film festival uh, around town. But uh, Sam, I want to start here. Uh, Why tell this story now and why tell this story at all? What motivated you to look back at this low point in Detroit's history?
4: Well, I came to this story, Stephen, with a background in public finance and politics, and just a general understanding of how cities work, and had never seen anything of this magnitude in the, in the context of a bankruptcy. When I first learned about the DIA's um, you know, role in this whole project, this whole situation as a municipally owned art museum, I knew that there was going to be a great story. Uh, but the reason to do it now is that all of the principals, uh, myself included as as a director, aren't getting any younger. And <laughs> if we wanted to put them on camera, no offense to you, since we put you on camera, I'm sure you're getting younger. <laughs> but um, we needed to do this now because the voices of those who were inside the bankruptcy uh, would, you know, have a have a shelf life. But I think the most important thing for for me is that this is a story of a city that simply could not make the political decisions that it needed to make in order to avoid the complete collapse of services and finances. And I do believe it's really difficult for elected officials to make those kinds of difficult choices. It's hard to get reelected if you propose to reduce the, the pensions of pensioners. But cities around the country are kicking the can down the road. And the Detroit story is what it looks like when you run out of road. And by the way, if you do not own an art museum and you can't infuse the the bankruptcy with $350 million of private foundation money, your canoe is going to be up the stream and you're not going to have a paddle.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chastity, I want to go back to 2012, 2013. The run-up to the bankruptcy here in Detroit, and talk about what was, what was going on. Remind our listeners where we were, not just in terms of our municipal finances, but what we'd been through uh, as a city politically uh, and culturally, and what kind of set the stage for what was going to happen over the next few years.
2: I think you very definitely set it up very well, Stephen. We had we were at a space in Detroit where we had experienced decades of erosion, right? Uh, Population loss. Everybody knows the Detroit story. It's, you know, the the abandonment porn, you know, with all over the world, just all of the abandoned homes and abandoned buildings and, you know, the ruined porn. That's what we were known for at that time, right? And I was covering schools at the time. I remember one of the biggest stories I ever worked on was about a girl trying to go to school and she couldn't do it safely because of all of the streetlights that were out. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then there were, you know, there weren't enough firefighters, enough fire trucks, enough ambulances. And, you know, response time was five, six, seven, ten times worse in Detroit than the average response times for, other cities of comparable and even smaller sizes, right? And so city services were not working. This you got people in the city who were paying their taxes, paying their income taxes, and couldn't rely on the most basic services. And like you said in the in the intro, the city was on the brink of not being able to even pay people's paychecks, people who were working for the city. And you know, we didn't get here overnight. We didn't get there over a decade, it was more than our lifetimes, right? Stephen? you know, we we were born into this um, erosion, this political and financial erosion that was happening in the city. And it just got to that boiling point where it was, you know, uh, politically, either something had to happen or something very, very bad is gonna happen. It's at a point there's in a the movie, um, Nancy Kaffer, uh, Free Press said, you know, the city was headed towards obsolescence. How does that happen to a city of 700,000 people that used Mm -hmm. to be two million obsolescence? What does that even look like? And so um, we were at that point where something had to be done. And if the state wasn't going to step in and say the city as a creature of the state, will save it. Then, you know, very tough decisions had to be made. People were angry and are still angry. Um, But, you know, no, it was the biggest municipal bankruptcy in history because um, arguably, and maybe not arguably, no other city had seen it get this bad, yeah. as bad as it was in Detroit.
1: Yeah. So, Sam, I want to spend a little time getting our listeners more familiar with you and your background, which I think is pretty important and key. To the telling of this story, Uh, you are a politician uh, from the city of Philadelphia. Uh, You ran for mayor in Philadelphia, I think twice uh, in the early... Three times. Oh, was it three times? See?
4: (laughs) I didn't get the message.
1: (laughs) Right. Um, and, And you're somebody who I think of as a real observer of... The state of urban America—that uh, that not only from your perch there in Philadelphia, but but, but almost from a, a national perspective—this idea of uh, the struggles that uh, that urban centers have, and that in in particular uh, cities with large black populations like Philadelphia and Detroit have had, and and the reasons um, behind that—and I I, I want to have you talk just a little about. Uh, what lens, I guess, that you brought to this work based on, based on that experience and um, and, and how it shaped the storytelling here.
4: Well, I th- thank you for that. Um, the political background I have, unfortunately, I'm, I, I am a politician in my DNA. I have never held public office, so I have never <laughs> actually exercised political <laughs> influence or authority. But uh, I have been a student of cities for almost my whole life. And I worked for 27 years in public finance and traveled all over the country. Uh, One place I did not travel to, however, was Detroit, and worked on municipal finance uh, issues and borrowings and restructurings, but not in bankruptcy, of dozens of cities and their agencies and authorities. Uh, When this happened, I was chairing what was then the oversight board that was created in Pennsylvania, excuse me, in Pennsylvania, to monitor the finances of Philadelphia. And when, uh, that was in 2011, 12, 13, 14, and this story came to my attention. I was involved already in a couple of films. I had no bandwidth for another one, but this story, as I read the Free Press and the news, and even the journal and other sources of information, and read case materials and filings, and both uh, the proposal to creditors and the plan of adjustment, I thought that this was a really important story that needed to be told. uh, As I mentioned last night, not for Detroiters, although obviously we're happy that they're seeing it, but for decision-makers, today's decision-makers, and future decision-makers around the country. Uh, You have to embrace your financial problems. You, You can't keep the can moving down the road. And um, I, I do think that uh, the, over the course of the two years before the release of the film, uh, following the George Floyd murder and COVID, uh, the unrest the summer after the murder of Floyd, uh, all of those events, I think, plus the influence of Chastity Pratt, brought a lot more balance to this story hmm. than it simply being a story about a municipal bankruptcy. And we made every effort to um, incorporate a wide array of voices, some of whom thought it was not a grand bargain, but that it was a grand scam. And we made those decisions to try not to take a position on whether this was a good thing or a bad thing. Frankly, uh, nine years later, uh, it's still too early to tell all of the things that are going to take place because of this bankruptcy, good and bad. And history needs time to matriculate. So. Uh, This was a very journalistically told story. We obviously relied on you and other journalists to kind of fill in what otherwise might have been the narrator's role. But those journalists, yourself included, were knee-deep in the story and have the benefit of perspective from, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And I think that a lot of people's views about this evolved, and that was true of our whole production team. Yeah.
2: Yeah. If I can add to Stephen, I Go think ahead, it was Steve. very I think it was very important to have a Sam Katz here because, you know, he's very passionate and interested in municipal finance. But like he said, this is a story about Detroit, but it's a general interest story because as we lay out in the film, there are dozens of other see there's billions of other unfunded pension obligations out there. Mm-hmm. It's not just Detroit. And um, you know. We as a nation have have to deal with that fact. And, and, and Sam coming in, not having a horse in the race in Detroit, not being emotionally connected to this, as some of us are, he <laughs> could look as a third party and say, oh, this is important on a lot of different levels that Detroiters might not actually realize.
4: Yeah, yeah. I'm talking I am came with... to it, Stephen, just quickly. I came Go to ahead. it. I was a subscriber to the Grand Bar. I thought, wow, this is really just quite something. Uh, and I do think we gave the grand bargain its proper, proper due. But uh, there were other points of view about how people were treated mm-hmm. and maybe not quite as much triumphalism in the minds of a lot of retirees, even those who voted uh, to approve the referendum on reducing uh, retirement benefits. And certainly among financial creditors and vendors and unions uh, and citizens, a lot of people, Uh, felt put upon by this decision and by these actions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking with Sam Katz and Chastity Pratt, two of the people deeply involved with the new documentary, Gradually Then Suddenly, which explores Detroit's historical uh, municipal bankruptcy in 2013. We're coming up on the nine-year anniversary of That bankruptcy this summer and, of course, next year will mark a decade uh, since uh, the city hit its lowest financial point. Uh, We want to hear from you as well while we're talking about this. Uh, Now that we're nine years past Detroit's bankruptcy filing, what do you think of it? Do you think it was the right thing to do for the city and its residents? Do you think there were other options that should have been on the table or maybe even pursued other than the bankruptcy Uh, We especially want to hear from you if you're somebody who was disproportionately affected by the bankruptcy. Are you a city retiree? Are you a current city employee? Uh, Are you somebody who lives in the city of Detroit and uh, is experiencing life post-bankruptcy and can compare it to what life was like before that point, uh, as always, we want to hear from you on the phones at 313 577 1019. That's 313 577 1019. But you can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work into the conversation. We especially want to hear from folks who still have real skepticism about this entire process. I know there are lots and lots of people who are uh, still a little bitter about the fact that Detroit was forced to to declare bankruptcy forced through a process uh, that took a lot away from uh, a lot of different people uh, we were told of course that there wasn't an alternative and that this was the way forward no matter how hard it might have been uh, are you somebody who doesn't believe that who don't uh, who, who is not experiencing um, the city today in a way that, uh, that confirms that, that decision, uh, nine years ago. Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. You can go to social media as well. Um, and, uh, we can include you that way. Uh, Chastity, I, I want to have you talk just a little about some of the questions just, I just asked the, um, the listeners, um, when you think about uh, all of that's happened, all the things that have happened since then, when you look at this film and what it compiles uh, about what happened and, and how people reacted to it, uh, what's your sense of, of what this decision was like and, and whether it made ultimate sense. Uh, For those of us who
2: lived through it, it was painful from beginning to end, Um, you know, from the, uh, emergency manager who was, you know, applauded by some and hated by many, you know, or or the pensioners or the even, you know, the bond insurers. It was painful, and you know, even nine years later, people are still pointing fingers. It was your fault. It was your fault. Was whose fault was it? Um, in the end, it ultimately eighteen point five billion dollars of debt had to be addressed. And like I said, you know, you know th- this. City is a creature of the state and the state knew and saw this happening and the city and 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 yes, there was, you know, this referendum in 2012 where voters across the state said, we don't want emergency management. The governor went in and made it happen anyway and and took over the city. And, you know, this question of democracy, what is it? Is it something that, you know, should be snatched away when it's convenient for, you know, or expedient. Uh, That still has people very bitter today that Mm -hmm. there was, you know, the emergency manager was thrust upon the city and the elected officials were, you know, neutered and they couldn't make these decisions. Um, It is a story about people in the end. Mm -hmm. The people of the city of Detroit were suffering and uh, the people in the city and the state for decades didn't get a, get their arms around it, and you know, to the question of was it necessary? Did we have to do it? It happened this way because of the political atmosphere in the city and the state. Period. It didn't have to happen this way, but the political environment dictated that it would, and it did. In the end, are we in a space where the city is healing and getting better in some ways? but those hard feelings are still around. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's going to take some time. We, luckily we didn't do it right after <laughs> the mm-hmm. the bankruptcy because, you know, people needed a little time to mm-hmm. think it over and uh, absorb it and, and watch the plan of adjustment take root. Um, you know, but we're not Ken burns. We're not going to wait 50 years. <laughs> like Sam was saying, you know, all of us be old or dead by then. So,
3: um,
2: <laughs> I think that it's good that we we put some space and time between now and then to just have people like absorb it in a different way than they would have right after it happened. Uh, But, you know, we've seen some improvements, tens of thousands of new streetlights, uh, you know, new cop cars. There was one point four billion dollars from the plan of adjustment that over 10 years is infused back into the city to deal with services. Uh, You know, did the water department have to be regionalized? Eh, Maybe not. But so much has happened and changed. And, you know, we can't uh, minimalize the um, improvements to city services that that have have happened. But we also can't minimalize the fact that some people think it didn't have to happen in its way. And they're still still angry. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, when we come back. We are going to continue this conversation about gradually, then suddenly, the new documentary about Detroit's bankruptcy. We're going to get to your phone calls and social media comments. Dan in Southfield, Bridget in Detroit, you're up first. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to social media, put comments there. We'll sprinkle those into the conversation as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
3: Bringing you news that matters.
1: Stories that impact your life.
3: Music from the Motor City
5: and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station.
1: You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always really glad you've joined us we're talking right now about the new documentary about detroit's municipal bankruptcy nine years ago uh, it's called gradually then suddenly it is part of the free film festival uh, we've got chastity pratt who's an education bureau chief for the wall street journal and a producer of gradually then suddenly with us also with us is sam katz who's the co-director of the film. Uh, We want to hear from you during the conversation about your feelings about Detroit's uh, historic municipal bankruptcy, the largest municipal bankruptcy in U.S. history. Nine years later, what do you think about the decision to force that bankruptcy on the city? What do you think of all of the things that were sacrificed to make sure that the city could go forward uh, and be intact from a financial perspective? Uh, Do you feel like city services are better now? than they were before the bankruptcy. Uh, Do you worry less or more about the city's financial state because of uh, the bankruptcy and the grand bargain, which brought uh, hundreds of millions uh, from outside the city into the city to to help it move forward? Uh, Also a historic act, something we hadn't seen before. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Um, I want to start with, uh, with a social media comment. Uh, Two Detroit's says, uh, you mean the propaganda film That makes straw man arguments for the need for a bankruptcy, grand bargain bin prices for corporations to benefit even more off Detroit. Uh, I want to go to the phones for a similar comment. Dan in Southfield, what's on your mind?
4: Hey, Stephen. Always glad to talk to you. This Mm -hmm. is a classic
0: example of the malevolent obfuscation of any
4: responsibility of the people who are really to blame for this. They... (laughs) Now the people who are to blame for it are poor black folks who live in Detroit and are trying to take a bus to get to a job, and and
0: clearly this was an orchestrated event. (laughs) This didn't happen by accident, and and the fact that this is the accepted the fact that white supremacy never has to pay, never gets the bill for its. Horrible behavior is sickening to me,
1: mm. Dan. I really appreciate the call and the the hot sentiments there, um, Chastity. I'm going to start with you. I mean, look, we've had this conversation over and over about who was paying the price for the mistakes that were made in Detroit, who caused the errors in Detroit. Um, you know, people from outside the city, people who left the city, state lawmakers who, who gutted uh, financial support for cities like Detroit. Um, talk about the, the, the kinds of decisions that have to be made when you're telling a story like this to reflect that complexity and to reflect the, the, the dynamics like white supremacy, which, of course, have lots to do with the way that Detroit ended up in the position uh, that it did but then of course something had to be something had to be done and you know a set of decisions had to be made uh, how do you sort through all of that
2: well uh we have to give uh Sam and James a lot of credit for bringing in journalists who you know our job is to get all the voices to be accurate and fair Nathan Bomey who was at the free press at the time wrote a book about the bankruptcy and had to sift through 130 interviews. We did 130 interviews <laughs> and 3,500 pages worth of transcripts so that we could tell the story across the board, leave no point of view out. And that was our mission. And, you know, depending on how you feel, it's easy to say, well, you know, they told this part more than I wanted them to and this part less than I wanted them to. But I, I challenge anyone to look at this film and say we took a side because, you know, as journalists, we're trained. You know, The, the last thing you want as a journalist is to put forth a story and someone says, oh, that didn't happen like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I challenge anyone to look at this film and say that because we we make painstaking decisions and we're really careful to make sure that all of the points of view, were 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 represented uh, so that we can be accurate about what happened. Now, yeah. you can still be mad about what happened, but you're not gonna look at this film and say, um, we misrepresented what happened. Very much so, we we explained to people, you no, know, we had a whole timeline from the 40s, 50s, 60s. These decisions that led to this didn't happen because Kwame Kilpatrick was corrupt. By the time Kwame Kilpatrick got to town, we were neck deep in debt. Mm -hmm. Did Kwame's administration make a really huge decision about the cops that was the final coffin and nail in a coffin? Of course, and we put that in there. We talk about disinvestment and white flight and middle class black people leaving town and the revenues just going down, 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 down over decades. Revenues going down at a time where the city still had to provide services we talk about the revenue sharing that the state snatched back and the city was so dependent on that's billions of dollars that the city didn't get over time. So, you know, we uh, and and Sam as a historical filmmaker made sure that the chronology and the history that led to this were all included. And again, I, I know that people still have hurt feelings about this, but you know, we had a 95-minute film. It was, what, Sam, an hour longer when we started
1: <laughs> editing? Yeah.
2: Uh, we can't put it all in there.
1: Yeah. But those yeah.
2: points that move the story forward are very much represented.
1: Yeah, Sam, I, I want to have you specifically answer this criticism on Twitter that this is a propaganda film that makes straw arguments for the need for bankruptcy. Now look, I've seen I've seen uh, a, a late cut of the film. I know it's not that. I would encourage uh, that that listener to go take a look at the film. I think if you see it, you'll you'll have a different impression. But but Sam talk about how you 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 had to have that in your mind when you were making this that it it you didn't want it to be a propaganda film that was making straw straw man arguments for for the bankruptcy. But then, you know, figuring out how to do that, I guess, is always the
4: challenge. Well, I think it is to a greater degree than you might think, because when you start interviewing people, everybody has a story. They have a narrative, and they're expecting their narrative to be our narrative. And uh, so we probably disappointed a lot of people who were very pro grand Bargain, And I know we disappointed a lot of people who felt that the film should have said that the bankruptcy unfairly and inappropriately uh, attacked the the pensions. Uh, As far as it being a whitewash or uh, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I've read a couple of articles that suggest that just that. I can't believe the people who wrote them watched the film. But, you know, sometimes you're just not going to change people's opinions. Mm. And we we just made absolutely certain that the grand bargain was part of the story. But it wasn't the story. There were many stories, and I think that the uh, extent to which Detroit found its way out of this problem, I think a lot of people will say this, that, that, and the other thing were terrible. But what what they don't do is recognize what would have happened had you not done something, had you not had a bankruptcy. Where was the city going to be? Mm. Which politicians on the city council? We're going to vote in favor of things that were in the plan of adjustment that took things away from other people. No one. And that's the problem. I mean, if you want to get reelected, you don't tell people, you see that thing that we gave you? We're taking it back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not a good political strategy. And that's why we're in such trouble, because very few places in the country are uh, and the citizens of those places are represented by elected officials who understand that they're going to have to get defeated, but they have to do certain things, and that's that's really tough. And that my political background, even though I never won, I understood that you know people get elected, they want to keep their job, and you keep their job by trying to make as many people happy as possible, not by taking things away from them. Yeah, yeah.
1: Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones. Let's go next to Harriet in Detroit. Harriet welcome to the show good after good morning can you hear me we can yes
3: okay i'm a retiree from the city of detroit worked there for 17 years and then it wasn't tough enough so i took on highland park as a nonprofit person <laughs> and i'd like to say i saw the film last night and everybody but everybody in this city and many other cities ought to watch it the uh People who put it together did a superb job of the variety of different people's opinions. For example, having two people from the retiree, one who said, yes, we had to do it, and the other one who still feels, no, we should not have done it. Mm -hmm. That really spoke to the variety of responses for those people who knew something about it and who didn't as well. I think the case in me, for example, is I still have health benefits. My husband worked at Wayne State University. When he retired, he had no way except buying his health benefits at like $12,000 a year. I pay for my health benefits, but I do have them. And that's one of the examples. I learned a tremendous amount from the people that you had. The short comments were always good enough to give the people's feelings behind what they said. And my compliments to the people who made that film and everyone who can see it especially when it becomes a DVD eventually, should watch it and talk about it with other people, other cities, other places. My compliments to the bankers of that film.
1: Yeah. Harriet, uh, really appreciate the call and the the insight, and especially coming from somebody who was was a city employee. Uh, Quickly, let's go to Bridget in Detroit. Bridget, welcome to the show.
6: Hi, Stephen. Um, my name is Bridget. I live in Detroit now. I was in high school in Royal Oak when the bankruptcy happened. And um, I have a similar comment to the caller from Southfield. Um, I'd really like to hear as a lens of analysis. You mentioned, Stephen, that, you know, loans are being taken out to pay loans to pay loans. Um, and I- I'd like to hear this through like a lens of disaster capitalism and through an understanding that black majority cities, people of color, majority cities were saddled with a lot of debt um, mm-hmm. and then had Austerity measures imposed on them in a non-democratic way. Um, so, particularly, like two two things in that analysis. Like, right, like, kind of what what were the payoffs to big banks? I know that for the water department specifically, in 2012, $536 million were paid off to Goldman Sachs. That service climbed to 40% of total water bills for DWSD. Two years later, there were 30,000 shutoffs in the city of Detroit. So that's like mm-hmm. one piece. Um, yeah and then the other piece is, yeah just the recognition that this was put in place by an emergency manager. I mean, there's been an implication here that democracy can't handle debt um and you know this was at a time when Rick Snyder was imposing emergency financial management, and I think a majority of the black majority cities in our state, um so I'd like to hear that brought in
1: yeah, uh, Bridget, I appreciate the call and the and the thoughts um I, I, I will say up front, democracy did not handle debt, and that was. What brought us to the to the bankruptcy democracy here in the city of Detroit, as well as at the state level, um, Sam and Chastity, which 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 one do you want to take a, a crack at? What uh, let what me let you me say? start with that. Yeah, First of
4: all, I, you know, I think that in order to assess this, uh, which is very difficult because it's very complicated, you have to look at it in pieces. Um, the, the, it wasn't clear to me why the Detroit Water and Sewer Department and its debt was restructured into the Great Lakes Water Authority, other than for a political reason having to do with the governance and decision-making of the water system and the absence of inclusion of the counties. And the bankruptcy created a vehicle for solving what, for political purposes, was considered a problem, whether it was a Mm -hmm. good solution or not. Mm -hmm. The second thing I would say is it was those, like you said, it was those very elected officials, elected democratically in um, Detroit, who made, who approved the bond ordinances, who approved the issuance of the certificates of participation. So the debt that was piled up wasn't imposed on the city of Detroit. It was incurred by the city of Detroit. And lastly, again, uh, when, when you can't make decisions to uh, address liquidity, where there was no money to make payroll, when you can't make decisions for service insolvency, the city was collapsing around itself. What do you do? Do you just you just say, Oh, we're gonna keep control of this and we'll let the same people who never could make these decisions play that role? I don't want to argue for the bankruptcy or for the emergency manager, uh this decision. I just ask myself the question, what was the other choice? And I don't know. I really I've I've not heard anyone tell me Well, other than maybe the state of Michigan infusing the city with a couple billion dollars, which would have required votes in the legislature, and I'm frankly skeptical that that would have been possible, what alternatives were there for the city? And I don't know what they are. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, Sam Katz and Chastity Pratt, uh, really great to have you both here to talk about uh, the work uh, of this film and the story of Detroit's bankruptcy. Thanks so much for joining us.
4: Thanks
1: for having us. All right, when we come back, we are going to continue to talk about the financial challenges here in Detroit. We're going to talk about what still faces the city. Uh, And we're going to hear from someone who has been intimately familiar with the city's budget in recent years. I'm going to talk with former Detroit CFO Dave Masseron next on Detroit Today. Stay with us. Right today on 1019 WDET, I'm Steven Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We've been talking about Detroit's bankruptcy, its effects nine years later, and a new film that documents what happened here in the city as we hit our lowest financial point. We want to pivot a little bit now and talk about what lies ahead for the city of Detroit, what the bankruptcy set us up for in order to manage finances better and to move forward. Dave Massaron is the former chief financial officer for the city of Detroit, also former budget director for the state of Michigan. He now serves as the chief chief business officer and CFO for Wayne State University. Dave, welcome back to Detroit Today. Okay. Um so I want to start uh, I want to start here we've been talking about Detroit Bank to the Detroit bankruptcy its effects today what are some of the things that the bankruptcy addressed from a financial perspective set us up for potential success in the future and what are some of the things that the bankruptcy did not address So
0: Stephen the way I like to think about budgets and numbers in the context of the government is the budget enables us to provide services as a government to our to our residents to people who work in and live in the city and what the bankruptcy did most importantly is it addressed and gave the city resources to address the service in insolvency meaning the city wasn't able to provide basic day-to-day services whether that be picking up trash responding to 911 calls or even something as simple in every other city as turning on street lights and it provided an infusion of capital and an operating uh, cash flow that would enable it to begin to address those city services in a way that, you know, the city could better take care of its residents uh, and people who work here. Um, I think probably what still is left for the city to address is, is both its, its tax structure and, and its, uh, its pension funding are probably the two biggest questions that are out there that have to continue to be worked on.
1: Let's talk specifically about pensions because I believe that that's that for so many Detroiters is kind of the nexus of these questions about the bankruptcy. Uh, the, the the plan of adjustment gave us a break with regard to the pension obligations for a certain period of time. That period of time is going to expire soon. What what will happen uh, when that when that expires, and are we prepared in the way that the framers of the plan of adjustment anticipated we would be to deal with uh, with those new obligations uh, in the future? So,
0: yeah, Stephen, the the plan of adjustment gave the city basically a ten year holiday on its legacy pension obligations, um, and after that ten years passes, the city's uh, payments to those pension funds dramatically ramps up. Um, I believe the city is prepared in the short and medium term to meet that challenge. I do not believe it was in the way that the framers of the plan adjustment had envisioned. In Hmm. fact, much of that billion and a half dollars that has been referenced uh, of additional investment was diverted um, because the city, led by the mayor and my predecessor as CFO John Hill and Council President Jones and a number of others, decided to begin investing in what's called the Pension Retiree Fund to make sure that the city would have the resources necessary to make those pension payments going forward. And that funding amount, which by the time we reach that 10-year period will exceed a half billion dollars, is what I think is enabling the city to be ready to meet uh, its obligations. I I think that the plan of adjustment uh, estimates of what those obligations were to be, were too optimistic. Um, And in this context, I know there was a discussion about democracy. uh, The city's democratically elected leaders decided to make very difficult decisions and invested in making sure our retirees would be protected going forward. Hmm. Hmm.
1: Uh, I I also want to talk about city services, which in the plan of adjustment were due to get a lot of attention, a lot more uh, money than than they had before. I, I live in the city, of course, and and experience what's different today than uh, than was true before the bankruptcy. Has that turned out though the way that the plan of adjustment a- anticipated? Have Detroiters gotten as much as they were supposed to out of uh, out of the bankruptcy settlement? So, Stephen,
0: I think so. I think that the plan uh, has enabled the city uh, to make number, numerous investments, whether it be our park infrastructure, whether it be um, the beginnings of major investment in our sewer and water system, uh, so that it is more reliable. I believe a lot of those investments were made. Obviously, at the end of the day, uh, the investment is just dollars, and there needs to be uh, somebody that executes those those plans and we need to continue to work uh, as a community um, to make sure that we have high expectations of what those services should be but I think it did enable a significant investment in city services and I think we see it probably most evidently uh, when uh, you know night falls on us and we can see that the street lights turn on um, and you know maybe just as much the reorganization um, of our of our trash and recycling pickup uh, which has been much more reliable, but you know there's been some struggles of late uh, with a particular vendor, which I think the city has worked through. Um, I think we've seen a lot of improvement in city services, but there's a way to ways to go as a city resident myself um, in terms of things that we 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 should just expect more of.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number always here on the phones. You can also go to social media to Facebook or Twitter. The comments there, and we'll include you in the conversation. Let's go to Lonnie in Detroit. Lonnie, welcome to the show. Oh, this is me.
5: How you yeah. doing, Stephen? Good. How are you? I'm a retired from the city. Mm-hmm. They took the pension money from the city em- employees, and I thought it was wrong. But I told them, anytime the city come above above water, that money should be repaid. Hmm. A lot of city workers worked hard and diligently. I started working for the city of Detroit in 1968. It was called DSR. Wow. And we worked hard. And they didn't put any money back into that facility. We told them, if you want to save the city bus, you have to merge DSR with Simpsons. They didn't want to do that. They, They didn't want to do anything that would promote the city. And it hurted them not to promote. If you don't grow, you're going to die.
1: And that's what happened to them. So, Lonnie.
5: People worked for the water department. It was the same way. They didn't want to grow. And we know what happened in Henderson? The majority of the city workers became black. And when they became black, everything changed.
1: Yeah. So, Lonnie, tell me, did you vote in favor of the settlement uh, that retirees were asked? To take as a part of the bankruptcy, or did you I didn't vote? vote no? For
5: it because they they didn't say anything of returning the money. The yeah. same way when we we took a pension cut, and then they turn around and stole, and raise the, the 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 uh the, the taxes on home. They hit yeah. us on hit us from both ends. Hit okay. us from both ends.
1: L- Lonnie, I really, appre- my- I really appreciate the call and that that perspective. I think that's a really important dimension of this discussion. Uh, Dave Masseron, what about this idea of being able to make pensioners whole? I mean, there were lots of haircuts handed out to lots of different constituencies. Pensioners took a, a very big one. Um, if the city gets to the point of doing better, I, I guess the question is from Lonnie, is is there an opportunity to, to help make that whole again? So, so the plan contemplates
0: that as a possibility, but I think the focus of the city right now needs to be making sure the gentleman who just spoke, Lonnie, has what the plan of adjustment provided and that is secure. And I think that needs to be the focus of the city to make sure that there aren't, you know, that we don't end up in that same position again and have to go through that same pain. Our pensioners in a large part are the ones that made the biggest contribution out of the plan of adjustment in total dollar amount because they were the largest liability. And we need to, you know, forever thank them and honor them for that contribution by making sure that there isn't a situation where they face the need to, to lose more of their pensions. And, and that really needs to be the focus. The city is still um, in, in a position where the focus has to be shoring up those reserves so it can mm-hmm. make those payments. Yeah.
1: Uh, Quickly, Anthony in Southfield uh, has a question about Proposal A. He says you can't address the bankruptcy without addressing Proposal A. I've only got a minute left. Dave, can you talk about the growth of revenue and property taxes in Detroit and how key that is to our future? So I I, I think property taxes
0: um, are not the key revenue for the city. Um, I think we need to find a way to reform our property tax. overall to bring them down. Mm -hmm. The biggest revenue for the city is our city income tax uh, and our gaming revenue and state revenue. And we really need to focus on attracting more people and more investment uh, to the city so we have stronger revenue from that city income tax. So while I know people are concerned that property taxes don't grow as quickly as they should, Mm -hmm. I actually think the city should be looking at ways to reduce the burden, particularly on our homeowners um, of property taxes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, uh, Dave Masseron, CFO at Wayne State University, former CFO of the city of Detroit. Always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Stephen. That's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk about the troubling history of racism in mortgage lending in the city of Detroit, a very important subject, and what we can be doing to address it. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.